This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me, please, to the book of Job. You'll find it in the wisdom literature, that area in our Old Testament, starting with Job going through Song of Solomon. Job chapter 1. There isn't a person here this morning whose life hasn't been touched by suffering. The death of someone that we know or someone who is dear to us. I want to encourage you this morning to pray for the Wasman family. Brother uh, Gary's dad went to be with the Lord two days ago. Uh, and uh, then this coming weekend on Saturday as well, uh, the Haynes family. Uh, the service will be here on Saturday morning at 11 for Kim's mom. And uh, so we, we know about suffering uh, when it comes to the death of someone who is near to us, dear to us. We hear about it all the time. What about illness? Uh, we all face this, right? Uh, I'm getting over a head cold, uh, spending the night in a tent uh, two nights ago, that didn't help anything as we were out camping with, with our guys. Uh, but we know about illness, short term, extended. And then just the aches and pains that go with that or just come with getting older. What about accidents, those that are common, those that are uncommon? Uh, there is... Uh, Things can go wrong, and then we know the other side of that is trauma. Uh, It's just part of life on a fallen, sin-cursed, broken earth. We know about financial setbacks. We know about the lack or the loss of possessions. A good week or a bad week is often defined, even among Christians, as a lack of of these negative circumstances that I've I've mentioned. Say, how how was your week? Even Christians don't think, well, you know what? I just had victory. I was walking with God. I had a great time in my my devotions, my time with the Lord. No, it was a great week. Nothing broke. I'm here. I'm healthy. I'm looking down at the daisies, not up at them. You know, that, that kind of thing. Despite medical technology, safety laws, medical research, cleaner air and water. No, by the way, there is cleaner air and water. Okay. We will suffer on this fallen, broken earth. Bound to happen. I was reminded of this even this morning. There are two senior pastors who work in these facilities. One has the Hispanic church, and I'm privileged to be the pastor here. Do you know what, Pastor Toby, you know what our favorite greeting is? Hola, comatos. <laughs> That's about the only two Spanish words I know, and one isn't even Spanish. I get that, all right. But that's, that's this 
this earth that we live on. Yet suffering brings other challenges. When suffering enters our lives, the way we choose to respond and the way others respond either helps or makes things worse. We're all aware as Christians that, yeah, we're here to encourage and help others, but sometimes we're not that, that much of an encouragement. When suffering enters someone else's life, how do you respond? What do you say to others who are grieving in pain or who have just met with some tragedy? Have you ever felt helpless in those situations, wondering what to think and say, right? Do you feel vulnerable in those times? I do. So we need to know that God has placed a book in the Bible that is God's mind on this matter of suffering. A book that has the answer to helping our own suffering and the suffering of others if we have a heart to listen and learn. It's a long book. There's a lot in the book, though it's given to us by inspiration so that we know that what was said, it's accurate in that what's recorded is what was said. This is one of those books in the Bible where a good portion of this book was not the Word of God. From the standpoint that people were saying things that was not from God. In fact, at the end of the book, the Lord will tell three friends of Job, you have not spoken what is true concerning me. Of course, the book that we're looking at this morning is the book of Job. And God has, has led me in a, in a time of great difficulty in our nation, in a time when people are not only hurting and suffering, but a time when from week to week, we wonder if some new strain of a virus is going to come and infect our body again. With all this suffering, with all this trouble, how do we find help from God and how do we take that help from God and help others? And so we're, we're not going to look at the book of Job uh, as far as taking each chapter and wading through it. But there are going to be chapters where we slow down and we take a look at what is there. There are themes from this book that we're going to consider together. It is interesting to note that some of the expressions that we commonly use, drop in the bucket and other things, so many of the expressions we use are right out of the Bible. And you're going to see several of those expressions in the book of Job, things that you probably say and you'll you'll see the source of that. As we begin, let's consider the date of this book. Job begins the poetic books in our Bible. It is believed to be the oldest of the books. If you read through your Bible chronologically, uh, you'll start with Genesis as far as events that happen chronologically. Uh, but then later on, if, if you have that kind of a Bible reading calendar, it will skip to Job. Again, probably the oldest book in our Bible, though we can't be sure how old it is. It does mention the flood, chapter 22, verse 16. So we know that what happened in Job's life happened post-flood. But there's no mention here of Israel's history, the Exodus, the law, Canaan, her kings, 
we do see the family clan society described in Job that's uh, like that of patriarchal times. And so uh, it was, it was pre-Moses, and it was during the time of the patriarchs. Many believe that probably Job knew Noah. Uh, that's how old it is. And then when we find the attack that comes on Job's family and his possessions, when it, when it comes to his possessions as servants that are slain, we're told about specific people groups, and, and that helps date this book as well. And we'll take a closer look when we get into that narrative about uh, Job's uh, life. Who is the author of Job? There are several possibilities of who the human author is. The first possibility is that it was written by Job himself. He had the first-hand account of everything that happened, didn't he? The things that he said, the things that were said to him. And then later the Holy Spirit may have revealed what took place in heaven and again revealed it to him after his suffering. When we get to God's exchange with Job later at the end of the book, God never mentions about the contest in heaven, that, that Satan uh, had anything to do with what happened in Job's life. God may have revealed that to him later. We do know that Job is a brilliant man and in those days... Surrounded by brilliant men, even the friends talk about the wisdom of the aged. And at a time when those, those men lived long lives, including Job, in those times there was a whole lot more time to glean wisdom, and wisdom that was passed on uh, from others. So it may have been Job. The Jews believe that the author was Moses. They hold that during the 40 years of wilderness wanderings recorded in Exodus that Moses penned the verbal accounts of Job's life or a from a diary that he uh, was given and, and that he recorded the events then. So along with the Pentateuch Genesis through Deuteronomy that he also penned uh, what had happened in the life of Job. Still others believe, <clears throat> excuse me, that the book was written by someone living in Solomon's time. The reason they think that, and Hebrew scholars included, because the writing of Job uh, follows the Hebrew wisdom literature, the structure, the, the, the Hebrew words which are used there. Okay? And that's why it's located in our Bible where it is, with the wisdom literature. Now, since the Holy Spirit is the true author of Job, right? What you have in your Bible, what I have in my Bible, we know it is the very Word of God because the Holy Spirit moved holy men to write it, whether it was Job, whether it was Moses, someone in Solomon's time. The Holy Spirit is the true author. So it could have been any of these possibilities, or again, maybe a combination. What Job wrote, and then Moses got a copy of it, and, uh, and, and wrote from there. The point is this. We're going to have to wait until heaven. We'll have to wait until we're in the same throne room where the initial contest happened between God and Satan. Where God says to him, you have been walking to and fro in the earth and you have been considering my servant Job. That's the Hebrew. The Lord wasn't asking him a question. He said, I know where you've been and I know who you've been watching. 
you have considered my servant Job. And then Satan responds, and again, if you want to get an insight, we're going to say more in a little bit about, about Satan. You want to get an insight into how rotten he is on the inside? Watch how he responds to God. Like a spoiled child, like a bitter brat, says, yeah, but if you would do such and such to Job, he'd curse you to your face. And you can just sense in his tone, and I hope he does. I hope he cusses you. That's, that's Satan. But the point is, we're going to have to wait till we get in that same throne room where that happened to find out who the author was. And then we'll get to talk about it with Job and Moses and whoever, whoever it was, all right? So you'll have to wait on that. But this we can be sure of. Listen, the events in Job's life are factual and historical. The characters, the setting, the dialogue are all real. And this is confirmed as well later in the scripture, the prophet Ezekiel. Twice mentions Job, Ezekiel 14, 14, and then 14, 20. And so does the Apostle James. He mentions him as well, James 5 and verse 11. But I want to take the rest of our time this morning to look at the themes that are in this book. The themes that are in this book. Now, if we're going to do right by the book, once we get into the early chapters, we're going to need to preach it and look at it from a a narrative standpoint. That's the way the Holy Spirit chose to give it to us. Not three points and an illustration. It's narrative. And so we're going to approach it that way, but also glean from what the Lord has for us in this great book. But what are the themes? I want to take the remainder of the message to examine these. Number one, God knows best how to glorify himself. God knows best how to glorify himself. Listen, you're going to face suffering. I'm going to face suffering. And the first thing that we need to think when suffering comes is God wants to glorify himself through whatever I'm facing right now. The big question is not, does he want to glorify himself? The big question is, am I going to let him be glorified through whatever's coming or whatever I am facing? This book reveals that things happen in God's plan in this natural world that we don't have answers to. Now, the first thing my flesh wants to ask is why? The book of Job tells me God is not required to give me an answer. In fact, do you know that in the book of Job, God never gives Job an answer? Now, God will ask him a lot of questions at the, towards the end of the book, but he never tells him what happened. God never tells him why. He just says, Job, let me remind you about who I am. And as Job is reminded about who God is, God convicts in his heart and he repents. God makes everything right including requiring that his friends get right, and they move on. God knows best how to glorify himself. Those things prove when we suffer and we wonder our littleness while proving God's greatness. John Phillips said that. Does this mean that we're simply chess pieces on a round game board called earth? You just a chess piece? 
well, Lord, where are you, you going to move me? Ah, it's just, okay. I, no, it's not what it proves. Secondly, not only does God know best how to glorify himself, God always works for the ultimate purpose of his glory and the good of his people. He is always working for the ultimate purpose of his glory and the good of his people. And that, that we say that so often. You've heard other preachers say that. It becomes cliche, but that is what is happening here and in our lives. At the end of Job, he will be schooled literally about God's power and wisdom without hearing a single word about why God allowed what he did. Job did learn about God's faithfulness and his love. God always has a purpose for our suffering and he is able to bring about that purpose in our lives without ever telling us why. The question is, are we going to continue to submit to the perfect will of God, his good hand? Are we going to continue to do that while he glorifies himself? Now, the blessing that we have, that Job did not have, is that we have the rest of Scripture. And think about the fact that we do have an explanation as to why. Now, it's not necessarily going to be, you know, Lord, why did I buy this, three cons- uh, this car three months ago, and why did that, that sweet old man not obey that red traffic light? God doesn't have to tell you that. But we do know that all things work together for good to them that love God and them who are the called according to his purpose. We do know that the trying of our faith is much more precious than gold or maybe even a car that perishes, okay? But but that trying of our faith is working in us the image of Christ so that when we stand before Jesus, we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So we do have more explanation than Job had, but Job at the time had all the explanation he needed. God is in control and God is going to be glorified. God's glory and the good of saints will be accomplished where there is a trusting heart. And we'll we'll pause for a moment marvel at Job's words, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Wow. Number three, those who suffer are often godly saints. Those who suffer are often godly saints. God will not allow us to be tested above that we're able by his grace, but he will allow us to be tested. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus, which is the will of God for all of us, will suffer persecution. It's guaranteed. The fact is, The lives of Job and Jesus are intended to show us that the godly may suffer more, in fact. Those who honor the Lord with their lives will be honored with more suffering. Though Job teaches us that it is just for a moment, right? It's for a moment as God works for us a far more and exceeding way to glory, 2 Corinthians 4.17. Number four. There's another theme. Those who suffer may do so at the hands of God's arch enemy. But God is still in control. 
The book of Job teaches us many valuable lessons about Satan. And by the way, the lessons that Job teaches us need to govern what we think about him. It's amazing even sometimes what Christians say about Satan. What do we learn from the book of Job about God's archenemy? Number one, when left to his own devices, he is, in de- he is intent on destroying life. The God of this world also has nature at his command when given permission to use it for his whims. So when we read about fire moving among Job's flocks and destroying them, that's a reference to lightning. Yeah. When God allows him to have his way, he uses nature to destroy life. He was a murderer from the beginning. And if you play his game, he has one ultimate goal for you. He wants to kill you. Saints can rejoice in that Satan's ultimate goal was conquered when Jesus walked out of his tomb. Amen? He conquered death. Satan is all about death. But Jesus conquered that. So, again, when left to his own devices, he's intent on destroying life. Number two, he isn't everywhere present and must go to and fro in the earth. Satan doesn't see everything you do. Now, he may be aware of some things, and he may have watched you, but he's not omnipresent. He has to move around in the earth to see what is happening. So don't give him the credit he doesn't deserve. He wants to be God. He wants to be thought of as God. God has allowed him to be the God of this world, but he's not our God. He's a created, fallen angel. He isn't God, but is always under the watchful eye of God. That comforts me. Number three, he still has to check in with his creator, though a fallen rebel. So you're in chapter one. Would you notice verse eight? In fact, we'll back up to verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Why? Because he decided he wanted to visit with God? No. He had to be there. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, and here's the Hebrew, Thou hast considered my servant Job, and there is none, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And then Satan makes a challenge to the Lord. Again, Job fears you for nothing, for naught, no. This whole idea, and I've heard even Christian comedians, you know, what is this about? God putting a hedge about him. Ha, ha, ha. You know, that's right out of the Bible. God had placed a hedge of protection around Job. Or what you're going to read in the book of Job would have probably happened sooner, but God was protecting his servant. All right. 
Hedge about him, his house, and about all that he hath on every side. How many of us as parents have, have actually prayed, Lord, put that hedge around us? And that's good. It's biblical. Okay? But he has to check in with Creator. You'll see the same thing in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2. So praise God, 1 John 4, 4 is still in the Bible. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Number four, Satan can and will continue to do his work through others, including self-professed friends. Say, well, after chapter two, Satan disappears in, in, in the book of Job. No, he doesn't. He just starts to work through these guys who have showed up to be a help. Do you know that as a, as a believer, and by the way, all Job's friends knew and feared God. But do you know that if you are a Christian and you're not spirit-controlled, Satan can use you as a tool to discourage and hurt someone who's suffering? It's true. And it happens all the way through. If you read, just sit down and read through the book of Job, it, it'll wear you out. But again, the Holy Spirit puts that in there for emphasis because if you're not spirit-controlled and you come alongside somebody to, that's hurting to try to help them, you can wear them out. They need to hear from the Lord. And so Satan can continue to do his work through those who know God but do not speak for God. Don't think for a moment that Satan goes away after chapter 2 in Job. In fact, we'll see later that one of Job's friends has an experience at night. This is one of those teasers, and it's in the book of Job, but he has an experience at night where he's laying in his bed, and he says, something passes over me. Yeah. At least a demonic presence Again, this is a reminder that Satan is busy trying to get Job to curse God throughout the book. He fails, but he sure works hard at it. But I want to go back to this matter as Christians. And if you're an unbeliever here today, you've never received Christ as Savior, you need to realize that you, as an unbeliever, Jesus said this, I'm not saying Jesus said, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do, and he was a murderer from the beginning. If you're an unbeliever and you think, well, I'll just navigate life and maybe I'll have a good shot at heaven, you're, you're very deceived. God's arch enemy here is seeking whom he may destroy. He's a roaring lion. And if you play his game, you will lose. You will. You'll be destroyed. But it's sad that even those who come to Christ for salvation, we can be blinded and deceived as well into thinking, well, I will sometimes, I'll venture off into Satan's camp and I'll, I'll play there and, and I can walk out of there and I won't be hurt. You're a fool if you think that. He may, he may allow you to enjoy it for a season, but what he wants to do is put you in chains and ruin you and destroy your life. 
Now, if you're a Christian, he can't take your eternal life, but he can make you miserable here. He can make your testimony uh, a ruin here. He can destroy that. And he can work to cause you to stand before Jesus someday ashamed because you believed his lies. He can't tell the truth. And if there's anything in your head as a Christian that says, I can do what makes me feel good, what makes me happy, what the culture says will please me, I can do those things and it won't harm me and I'll be okay. You're a fool. And by the way, yeah, God forbid, can we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we who are dead to sin live any longer? Why Go back to that. Why, why would we do that? But Job reminds us, that's the thinking of some. And this is, let's pull back the curtain, this is who the enemy is. This is who he is. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't want to make you happy. He wants to deceive you and destroy you. So young person, adult, if there's anything in your life right now where you've convinced yourself, I can have this pet sin, I can keep this wickedness in my heart, I I can live this secret life, and I'm going to be okay. No, you won't. Because you're, you're, you're taking risks with a being who is so much more smarter and powerful than you, you don't even play that game. And if it wasn't for the restraint and the mercy of God, you'd be dead. That's one of the main themes of the book of Job. But if you will continue to submit to the God of heaven, and let him have his way. And as, as the testimony of Job, fear the Lord, eschew evil. When it came to evil, here was Job. And God doesn't say it about him once, he says it about him twice. And he says it right to the face of Satan. And Satan knew it, he had no rebuttal. Except that, well, you're too nice to him. By the way, that's our God too. He is too nice to us. But he's merciful, he loves us, he wants to bless us. But when it came to sin, Job ran. He wanted to have nothing to do with sin. That needs to be our testimony. Thomas Carlyle said this of the book of Job. Call Job, or the book of Job is one of the greatest things ever written. There is nothing I think of equal literary merit. And he'd go on to say that he didn't think that there was anything of, uh, of as much spiritual benefit uh, either as reading and understanding the book of Job. So in the weeks ahead, we'll become very familiar with its truth that we might know the God of the sufferer and learn how God can help us to help those who suffer. And so let's continue to, to join back together There are also redemptive themes in this book. Uh, There's just so much to learn. Uh, One of my goals is that once we get through this book, you you won't view Job the same way again. And not to be cute, 
But my prayer is that we'll do a better job helping sufferers from the book of Job. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful book. It's an old book. But Lord, it is so powerful in what it reveals about what happens in heaven. Your control of all things, including even fallen angels, devils. And Lord, when we suffer, how you assist your own. What our thinking needs to be. You've never promised to tell us why you don't have to, but you have told us who you are. And Lord, as long as we know our God, we know what you say about yourself, we can endure any testing and suffering. Lord, when we take our eyes off of you and what we know to be true of you, and Lord, we start looking to our own feelings and our, our other negative circumstances, whatever it is that our flesh wants to go to, Lord, we can become embittered and doubtful and even unbelief can creep in. But Lord, it doesn't need to. You are our great God. So teach us, we pray, from this book. Now, Lord... You've met with us this morning. I believe you've spoken to hearts through your truth. And in this invitation time, would you help us to respond to the truth? Lord, when you speak, you expect a response. Not for us to just think about it, but to be doers of the word. And so, meet with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.